It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. You know, the news of the day and economics of our daily lives, individually, business, global economics, all ties together. My next guest is back for a return appearance. We go back to, I believe, the mid-2000s when he was first on the show. And at that time, it was a fiction, but a little too close to call fiction, uh, about Wall Street, the ghosts of Manhattan. You know him as Douglas Brunt. He's a podcast host. He's on our platform as well, dedicated with Doug Brunt. Uh, He's an author, a best-selling author. And Doug, let's just get it off the table because it's no secret to the audience. You're also Mrs. Megan Kelly. That's right. <laughs> or Mr. Megan Kelly. Let me get let me get my own joke right. All right. How you doing, Doug? Doing great. It's great to be back with you. Yeah, great to have you here. You know, interestingly enough, and we'll we're gonna get into the new book and news of the day, and I'm talking about China and economics and access to capital markets without meeting the standards that are required for American companies. A lot of other stuff, right down to the kitchen table. I know you have a kitchen table, I have a kitchen table. We, we all do at some point, some form. But I want to go back for a moment to the ghosts of Manhattan. And bring that forward to where we are today and how this does, as I see it, tie into your new book. Great, yeah. And The Ghost of Manhattan, so the audience knows, was set in the the lead-up to the real estate financial crisis in 07, 08. And talked about a bond salesman at Bear Stearns, which of course no longer exists. That completely blew up. Um, it was really about a marriage, but it was about life on Wall Street and the sort of hard-charging, partying atmosphere, which... You know, I think the, the Wall Street bonuses have recovered, but that that element of partying has really come down quite a bit. That heyday, I think, on Wall Street was really from like the 80s up through that mortgage crisis meltdown in 08. Wall Street has a little bit different tone these days. Yeah, it does. And that you're right, that hard charging, you know, Wall Street hanging out in Zuccotti Park in the breaks <laughs> and whatever else uh, went on. There's a lot to be told there, but there was a little bit too close, I don't know, too close to real life element of that. And of course, you have a lot of experience in the Wall Street arena as well. Uh, But, you know, there's a path, right? History guides us. And here we are uh, looking at where Wall Street, where our economics are, where we tie together today, and, and the importance of understanding how we got to this point. Because some activities have changed, but some haven't. And now you talk a lot about Wall Street on your podcast, as long with, along with life and all the other things that we talk about. Yeah, well, it's it. You know, the podcast. So I have. Uh, so the audience knows it's called Dedicated, and it really started out when I started writing. I started a book club with other writers. So Lee Child, Amor Tolls, Nelson DeMille, Harlan Coben. We'd all get together at my apartment in the city every other month. And we start out having a bunch of drinks and we talk about stories of going to book festivals and book events and dealing with editors and agents over cocktails. And then we'd, and then we'd you know, talk about a book. We'd always pick some long dead author. We didn't want to review each other's books and then just had some fun. I was talking to our mutual friends, David here at Sirius. And they were like, we should, t- these sounds like fun conversations. Let's turn that into a show. And so now I have 
writers of all stripes come on the show. We start out with the guest's favorite drink. And so we're either having scotch or champagne or wine or beer, whatever. Steve Forbes was on the other day and picked beer. And we talked about the history of Forbes and his new book out called Inflation. Brad Thor's coming up. And uh, he picked the drink called the Revolver, which is whiskey and Kahlua. And, uh, you know, speaking of China, David, so I, I cover all range of topics. And as you say, a lot of truth is in these fiction. I just read Brad Thor's most recent book called Rising Tiger, which is about China developing a new weapon that uh, has geopolitical, you know, implications and, and scares our own intelligence. And Brad Thor is so plugged into the intelligence community. Re- reading his fictional novels is still like reading a, a CIA intel brief. He's, he's so plugged in and is kind of ahead of what you're seeing in the newspapers. So reading his novel can actually be very informative. There's a, there's a great quote on the back of his most recent novel that says, anyone who thinks the only thing to fear is fear itself should meet Brad Thor. Well, I mean, there's a lot to be said about that. You're right. Uh, unintelligence, an angle on this for me, is you're talking about Brad Thor and an intelligence brief. And, you know, when we hear intelligence, we typically think of CIA, as we should, and other elements, you know, MI6, the Global Intelligence Network, uh, spycraft. But intelligence in business is increasingly uh, not only put to use, but it is very valuable and it can be used for better or worse. You know, that actually ties a bit into China. Uh, Years ago, I said, and I think probably Steve Forbes, we've worked together for a lot of years, has said the same thing, that for China, it's cheaper to steal than to innovate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, I have a lot of concern. I have three kids, as you know, and they're just on the edge here of adopting different social media things. And we, we are telling them absolute hard pass on TikTok and other things like that. And, you know, they, they want to get an Alexa in the house. I don't know if you've had this experience, but I'll have a conversation with Megan and we'll talk about some you know random thing we might buy for the house. Some, you know, it's not in an everyday conversation, but we might need something for a uh, you know, like a basketball for the kids, a certain brand of basketball. And then I'll get an email with that thing. Like what we were just saying the night before will show up advertising to me in an email. And uh, so these things like Alexa or, you know, getting on TikTok or other things on your phone, that someone is, uh, it, it, maybe I'm just, you know, being overly concerned about this, but it seems like somebody's watching. And I definitely don't want a Chinese uh, developed app on all of my kids' phones. Yeah, look, I've warned people about this for years. Uh, By the way, I use a VPN. You probably do, too. I try to protect myself in in every which way. Heck, I'll even plug ExpressVPN, which is what I use. So there you go. Give an advertiser a a free plug on that one. But it's effective. And I think I actually still have in my desk, in my office at Sirius, free Alexas. And, you know, they send you stuff. I never turn them on. They never come out of the box or I give them away. Because enough, my life is private, but that's valuable intelligence, the things we click on, the things we do. And that's important for businesses, which is different than gathering market data. And and we're all part of market data in some way. We're where in the market. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And it's all it's all uh, like we're the value. There's extracting value off of our uh, our information. But I I. have you seen the what is that um, 
the documentary, I think it's on Netflix about, about the social network. It, it, it's yeah. really horrifying stuff. Well, I mean, look, they found a way to get, and especially to young people, to your point, TikTok, which I've told people is one of the worst things on the planet. I've never used it. I never will use it. It's just, it's not just a national security threat. It's a cultural threat. It's gathering information. And in simple terms, let's say you're a young person, you do stupid things on TikTok. Later on, you go, you want to join uh, the military, you want to join a uh, law enforcement, maybe you want to go to work for a company that requires a level of uh, secrecy or certainly, you know, protecting the company that we all have a responsibility in a lot of cases. Uh, if they look at that, it may affect your life. It doesn't just end when you stop putting up funny videos of cats and dogs. No, that's right. That's right. Yeah. So we're, with our kids and, they, you know, one nice thing is I think schools are starting to get more aware of this stuff. And they always have these seminars educating the parents and the kids about how to handle this. Uh, YouTube is is a, a total time suck and, and leads to all sorts of behavioral issues. They, they basically sit on this stuff and do no homework and their brains get fried. And so we're, we're trying to keep our kids off social media as much as possible and doing time limits on on things. But uh, at least the awareness, like people like you out there talking about it, people like Megan out there talking about it, gets parents tuned in. Cause if, you, if you're not aware that this stuff even exists and can be problematic and you don't set up your you know, boundaries for your kids, you know, they develop horrible habits and addictions. Yeah. And it affects their lives. I mean, you know, there are real world effects and real studies being done now about the effects on that, but on adults too. Yeah. I got to say one of the things that concerns me and we're talking about the the children, right? Young, impressionable uh, brains are not formed frontal lobes. We've got to get into our twenties. 25 is kind of the age given for that. But when I look at some of the adults or the at least age wise, the adults out there, people in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s. And I see what's out there. I got to wonder what it's what some people are doing to themselves or what it's doing to them. I I totally agree. Uh, Not only on the technology, but, you know, curriculum shifts and, you know, the emphasis of certain studies in the in the schools and, you know, I. It, it's, uh, you know, not, not to get overly political about things, but it does seem like there's a real liberal shift within the schools just in the last four or five years that we've seen. Um, and, you know, in 30 years, these people are involved in the CEO offices and running the country. And I, it's it is sort of alarming to me. No, and that's that's not political for me. That's cultural. The fact is, if you in any way influence a part of a population, a percentage of that population becomes the leaders of tomorrow and what they believe becomes the model by which these companies operate. Uh, and look, you're, you're a Wall Street guy. You're a podcast host now. You're in my world now, Doug. But <laughs> the, fact, the fact is, that's an effective long-term strategy to change society, corporate ESG, uh, something Governor DeSantis is going after in Florida. Uh, and, and instead of, you know, when defeated on one angle, many just pivot to the next one and they keep coming at it. So if you control the model of corporations, the model of business, which affects people's lives because we need to work to support ourselves, uh, you have a great deal of control. I mean, separate from government alone and other influences. Mm-hmm. 
No, that's right. And that's why I, I think it's so important to study history because everyone's sort of having these reactions from time like today is the worst ever of, you know, you name it. But if you read history, you're like, you know, this this has actually been going on. Like I remember right after 9-11, my, my dad is is uh, uh, quite a bit older. He's born in 1926. He's passed away now. But right after 9-11, I went to my dad. I'm like this. And I was living in New York at the time. So I was really rattled. And I went to him. This, this is like the scariest time to be an American. And he was with some of his friends uh, and who were his age. He said, you know, it is a very scary time. But he also reminded me that he'd lived through the Cuban Missile Crisis, the Berlin Airlift, the Korean War, and they had served in World War II. So it was like, you know, it's it's early yet to be saying this is the scariest time ever, you know, and we, we see these cycles culturally uh, and from, you know, a, a national security perspective as well. Um, so history is always a very good perspective setting thing for us. It, yeah. I think it, it allows people to be a little bit less hysterical. Yeah, and it's being written every day. So <laughs> the worst mm-hmm. may yet to come, or the worst may have passed, but uh, we don't know. Uh, we don't know one hundred percent. My guest, Doug Brunt, author and host of Dedicated with Doug Brunt. I asked you to come on earlier, by the way. I appreciate that because what you and I were going to be talking about fit more, even more so into the topics that we're talking about and that callers are calling in to talk about. And uh, this adds to it for the hour. So uh, thanks for thanks for making that last minute change. Now, important questions in the podcast. All right. Uh, I've got so many ways to go with this one, but unfortunately, I better be nice because she knows where to find me. You say you start with a drink. <laughs> Melissa Francis, French tart. And I, <laughs> Melissa, please, I, 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 I can see it now. I'm going to be in trouble with her next time. What do you mean? Because I can go so many ways with that. But I like the idea of the drink. You know, maybe, you know, when I finish my book, you'll have me on. It's going to be scotch, just for the record. A- Single malt. Absolutely. Okay, so you, let's see. Our, we've had about 20 episodes. Nelson DeMille was Doers on the Rocks, so he's a scotch drinker. Uh, Lee Child, surprisingly, was champagne. Um, I think I mentioned to you, Brad Thor is going to be the revolver. Jack Carr is coming on. He's whiskey. Um, Amor Tolls is a Negroni. So it's just a really fun way to start off the show. We pour a drink, and then everyone has a different story. I'm, so the, uh, quickly to answer your other question, you're absolutely coming on, and we'll I'll have the scotch lined up for us. Um, but it's a great way to start the show, and every writer has a different thing. I, I'll be curious to find out your process of when you sit down and write your books, because you know, some people, Nelson DeMille, for example, writes out by hand. and He uses the number one pencil because it's softer and easier, you know, as he's writing hundreds of pages, just easier on the on his wrist and his fingers. And then other people key it in right into the laptop. Some people write an outline and some people like Lee Child says writing an outline just takes some of the gas out of it. It's more exciting if he even he doesn't know what's going to happen next. It, it adds more energy to the book. Some people write through the night. Some people are like 9 a.m. coffee folks and do their writing for a few hours in the morning. Um, and another fun question I ask pretty much every writer, all, even all the big stars is their most embarrassing, least attended book event ever, because even a big <laughs> name now like Amor, where you you know, your people are lining up around the block to get in there. They've all had a zero, you know, where they go into some big Barnes and Noble and they and the, and the store manager is sort of, you know, uncomfortably looking into like, boy, I hope someone shows up to this one. And then nobody does, you know, it's, they sit there to an empty room or one person comes and they're just like, Oh, let's, let's just go around the corner. I'll buy you a drink and tell you all about the book. 
you know, or Dennis Lane had one where two people were sitting there and he feels like he's giving this great book talk. And then he realizes they don't really even understand me. It turns out they were in the big Barnes and Noble for a English as a second language class. that was being offered down the hall. <laughs> so he had two folks who just, you know, needed a seat. They weren't there for him at all. It's very, yeah, really, I, really I, funny. I'm stuff. reminded. Got good stories on it. Yeah, I, I, this was not related to your show, but it is kind of funny when you talk about book events. I went to a book event for, uh, well, a CEO of American Humane. I'm on the board of American Humane. And, you know, animal rights organization, global, oldest in the world. You know, you see what no animals were harmed in this film. They work with zoos. And the people outside that were protesting were PETA. And it was a cookbook event for the CEO of American Humane. <laughs> and I'm sitting there going, they were actually bringing more people in because, like, what are you people yelling about? You're in Palm Beach, right? Okay, if you're being loud, rude, obnoxious, yelling at people as they walk by, uh, they're going to come in and see it. I'm sitting there going, PETA is protesting American Humane, who for 145 years have worked to help. Okay, never mind. <laughs> Just, uh, <laughs> so, so do, David, do you have a book in the works? Yeah, two of them. So, and as my wife reminds me, one needs to be done sooner than later. So there you go. <laughs> I, I don't know where you find the time. You got hours of radio. I guess are you writing in the evenings? Yeah, I. I okay, you talked about how people write. I, I dictate a lot of it. You know, I'm, I'm a talker, right. so my thoughts come sometimes so and jumbled sometimes fast and furious that thank God for technology. I can dictate it and then have it, you know, uh, translated into text and then I'll go from there. But uh, that that's my primary method. I write some thoughts. I write some outlines, but, you know, I just speak it, let it flow and then uh, get lots of uh, time to edit. Yeah, oh, that's a great way to go. I'll have to try that. I've heard of doctors doing that as well. You know, they can have that little software that they can speak into. You know, they've got their hands going on something, and they can just speak in the uh, the diagnosis. Oh, yeah. And by the way, it's better than reading their handwriting anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, doctors, famously the worst handwriting. Yeah, get a doctor to read their own handwriting. That's the doctor you take. If they can't read it, <laughs> that's the I'll, I'll take the next one. So right, what what do you got coming up? Uh, what do you, what do you got coming up next uh, on the on the podcast? I know you've got Marlon James that just came out. Uh, mm-hmm. So let's go next. Mar- well, Marlon's great. His his drink was the dark and stormy. He's this great writer uh, from Jamaica, and he's he's on the. Time Magazine, 100 Most Influential People in the World. He's, he's written some great, great stuff. He's finishing up the Dark Star Trilogy, which has been compared. It's, it's been described as an African Game, game of Thrones. Um, let's see. Coming up next is uh, next week is John Stossel, who's written a few books and uh, won some Emmys for his journalism. Uh, Amor Tolls, Brad Thor coming up. Min Jin Lee, who wrote Pachinko. Um, who else is coming? Scott Turo. And I think I mentioned Jack Carr. So that's those are the, the next bookings. Uh, but you can go through the library of, of previous guests like Jennifer Egan, uh, won a Pulitzer for her book, A Visit from the Goon Squad. William Finnegan wrote a, uh, won a Pulitzer for a, a memoir on surfing called Barbarian Days. It's really like kind of something for everyone in there. Melissa Francis, you mentioned, that was a very funny episode. She had some great <laughs> stories about woman. Giselle ruining her 30th birthday because she turns around and Giselle and a bunch of 
Victoria's Secret models are, you know, hanging around the pool and G-strings and smoking cigarettes. And she's there with her girlfriends thinking, this is not what I wanted to see at my birthday party. <laughs> Although her husband, Ray, was not too bummed out. I think he was feeling pretty good about things. Yeah, he probably wouldn't have complained much. Not publicly anyway. And certainly not privately, but there you go. Well, you know, look, there's more coming. I love this, though, because it's nice to hear from the authors themselves. Uh, by the way, the David Duchovny one, Someday Off Air, I want to talk to you about that one. And, oh, yeah, uh, right. on Duchovny and uh, Paulina Poroskova was on, too. She, she wrote a great book. Yeah. John Stossel, great on television, done a lot with him over the years. We've done specials together, some really memorable ones. But, man, get him in front of you because on the phone, <laughs> it's like, John, talk to me, buddy. I, I love John. I'm looking forward <laughs> to hearing that one. It's great. He picked a, uh, a martini. So we had a, a martini with a, with a twist. And it really, as you say, it's, it's great to get to know them because when you read a book, if the author's any good, it's, it's an incredible experience. You're, you're in this person's head for, you know, 16 hours or so it takes to read a book and you're in this person's head. And as I say, if they're any good, that really is a powerful experience. And there's really no other avenue to get to know the writer. Well, you know, I've always, when I was a kid, I put a book down, but man, what I wouldn't give to meet this person. And this show is really like an opportunity to sit down on a bar stool and listen in on a cool conversation where it, it's not really about the latest book. It's really about who they are and how they got to be there. And every writer's brain works so differently. And it's so interesting to see how they approach the craft and how they live their life. Um, so each, each show is sort of like a different window into a totally different way of doing it. And, I, you know, you're the first person I've heard who, who speaks the book and has it transcribed into text. You know, that's a, that's a new one. But every, every time I talk to an author, it's new stuff. Well, it is the only way it works for me. I know it works for all of these great people in different ways. Uh, I'm looking forward to this. I mean, I, I've got, I got to go back. I missed the Melissa one, but when I saw that, I just said, okay, <laughs> and the French tart. I, I just see how I get in trouble with that one. And uh, definitely for Stossel next week, uh, again, one, one, of the, one of the really great journalists out there, dedicated yeah. with Doug Brunt, wherever podcasts can be found, right here on Sirius XM, of course. Uh, thank you, Doug. And, and uh, say hi to the wife and kids. Have yourself a great Will day. Will do. All right. You thank, you. thank you, David. You can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.